This week in KMA Land, Essex Schools does away with fees. Two cases involving Sydney go before a statewide board. Page County buys some new equipment, and Clarinda has a name for a new business park. Good morning, I'm Ryan Matheny filling in for the vacationing Mike Peterson on This Week in KMA Land as we take a look back at some of the top news stories from our news team from this past week. We start in the middle of the week where Nottoway Valley's high school football coach faces numerous child sexual abuse charges following his arrest on Wednesday of this week. According to Iowa court records, 42-year-old Ryan Kissel of Creston was arrested and charged with 46 felony counts, including 24 counts of various lascivious acts with a child, all Class C felonies, 21 counts of second-degree sexual abuse, one count of continuous sexual abuse of a child, all Class B felonies. According to court records, offenses date back to 2013 and run up to as recent as last month when, according to criminal complaints, an underage victim reported to authorities that Kissel sexually assaulted them multiple times. Records also indicate the charges are not related to contact on Nottoway Valley or Creston School property. Kissel was hired in May as the head football coach for Nottoway Valley Orient Maxburg and as a special education teacher for Nottoway Valley High School. He's the seventh head football coach since 2017 for the program. He previously taught and coached multiple sports in the Creston Community School District, including high school girls soccer and middle school football. In a statement from Nottoway Valley Superintendent Paul Cron, the district notified parents this week that they were, quote, aware of one of its staff members' arrests and in connection to conduct unrelated to the district, adding that the individual has, quote, been placed on administrative leave until further notice. The district also announced that Brad Honnold would serve as the head football coach for this season. Kissel was transported to the Adams County Jail as being held on no bond pending an initial appearance. Well, registration, school activities, meals, textbook rentals for students are all on the house in the Essex School District this year. School officials announced this week that they would not be charging the various fees for the district students. While they've not been charging dues or registration fees for a few years now, this will be the first year that they won't charge for school lunch or breakfast thanks to the community eligibility provision, which is a national school lunch and school breakfast program. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program this week, Essex School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells says they hope the additional fee removals assist parents in an often expensive time of sending students back to school. The district is ran by tax dollars, so uh, it seems like we're double dipping when we charge parents those fees. Um, this year, one thing that is different is we applied for a state waiver to allow all students to have free breakfast and lunch. And we did qualify. Stephanie Spoles and uh, Valerie Patton did a lot of work on that. We appreciate that. So when kids come back to school, uh, they'll have free breakfast and lunch. He noted the reimbursement from the state is slightly less than what they would charge for school lunches. However, he hopes the free meals encourage parents to utilize school meals for their students. We have an excellent lunch program. Uh, Stephanie uh, has made uh, family-style meals, everything from scratch. And it's amazing. And for parents to get uh, free lunches for their kids that are healthy uh, and save them money, uh, it's good for everyone. Wells added that they typically charge $2.10 for lunch, while reimbursements from the state come in at $2 per lunch and $1.10 for breakfast. The superintendent also commended the work of his staff for completing the tedious process of applying for the state program. We have to certify uh, students who are eligible they uh, would be eligible for free or reduced lunch, and it has to be over the 94% uh, with the formula, and we did meet that requirement. So uh, we apply to the state. The state looks at all the applications and approves uh, the neediest schools uh, for that. Well says the response from community members thus far has been positive. You know, we've got a lot of calls and emails from parents just thanking us for taking the time to apply 
And again, I can't really take credit for that. Uh, Valerie Pat and Stephanie Sproles uh, have done most of that work. So we appreciate their efforts. You can hear the full interview with Dr. Mike Wells with this story at KMALand.com as well as on our morning line page. Well, speaking of the Essex School District and the Essex community, Essex residents are invited to a free celebration later today to kick off the new school year. The Essex Community School District, City, and uh, Essex Community Club are all teaming up to host a back-to-school bash today from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Anderson Park. Essex Community Club Director Tess Nelson says the event's meant to give the community a chance for one last celebration before the school year kicks off. Of course, the school and the community work together really, really well on numerous projects throughout the the year and share, you know, as much as they can to make both of those entities, you know, better. And so this was just a way for those three entities to come together and have kind of a celebration for the new school year at the park before school starts. The free celebration will include face painting, inflatables, food, prizes, a water sprinkler, and live music by local band Gas and Grass. Nelson says the goal is to have something at the event for all ages. We really tried to get everybody like the inflatables. You know, we're trying to get ones that are suitable for every age limit. You know, the live music, of course, was suitable for everybody. The food and the activities going on with the giveaways and the water sprinkler, that's trying to get something that would interest everyone. Um, So you can bring down a lawn chair and come listen to the music. Or you can bring down the kids or the grandkids and come down and play in the park. It's it's for everybody within the community. All activities at the celebration are free. Again, that takes place tonight from 5.30 to 7.30 at Anderson Park in Essex. The Iowa Public Information Board has accepted one public records complaint against the city of Sydney and rejected another. During its monthly meeting on Thursday this week, the IPIB officially accepted a complaint filed by City Councilman Don Benedict against the city. The complaint was filed after Benedict sent a public records request to the city on June 16th, seeking city email communications between Mayor Ken Brown and Riley Christie, Brown and RC Tree Service, and Brown and former city attorney Clint Victor. Brown responded to the request saying he would not comply with the request because he's conducting an official investigation of the city. Brown also argued that as mayor, his emails are confidential and that pulling them from a city server would be a violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. Speaking to the IPIB, City Attorney Bree Sorensen says the city has attempted to comply with the request. The city has made every effort to gain the mayor's compliance in a cooperative manner. Uh, He has refused and um, has threatened litigation against the city. He did indicate in an email uh, to myself and I believe the council that if the Iowa Public Information Board would order him to do so, he would comply with uh, providing the emails uh, despite having received the um, suggested order from the board. uh, The mayor has Uh, doubled down on his refusal. In July, the Sydney City Council voted to comply with the request and access Brown's emails in response to the public records request in accordance with the city's email usage policy. Sorensen says the city is seeking assistance with complying to the request to avoid violating Iowa's public records laws. I am concerned about the city's ability to comply with the request because it appears that many emails have been deleted and I would request uh, from the board continued Uh, assistance in this matter to help us to comply as the city has attempted to do so uh, to provide us some guidance and to uh, assist in mediating or or providing services to help us to comply uh, including identifying emails that were deleted after the public information request was made I think there potentially is some intentionality in uh, destruction of public record 
in response to the request that was made. Now that the request has been accepted, the IPIB can work with the city to reach an informal resolution to the case. In another case involving the city, the IPIB rejected a complaint filed by Brown against the city. Brown alleges that he made several public records requests for numerous communications and employee records. The city responded with a timeline for processing the request and with an estimate of the cost of procuring the records. Under Iowa Code Chapter 22, public entities are allowed to charge reasonable expenses for producing the requested records. It is an intensive request that he has made. It will be very demanding on city staff to pull all those records uh, and upon payment of the reasonable expense, uh, we certainly will comply. But I don't believe there's been any violation on the part of the city. The city's um, met its obligation and made every effort to cooperate and provide Mr. Brown the information he's requested. Under the complaint, Brown claims the fees should be waived since he's making his request in his official capacity as mayor. Following discussion, the IPIB dismissed the case, stating that the city has fulfilled its obligations under Chapter 22. Well, after considerable discussion this week, Page County officials are moving forward with purchasing two new motor graders. Meeting in regular session on Thursday, the Page County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved purchasing one Caterpillar motor grader through Ziegler Cat and a John Deere model through Murphy Tractor for just over $716,000. The action came after revisiting proposals from the two companies, which included two Caterpillar models through Ziegler Cat for roughly $715,600 and two John Deere models from Murphy Tractor for more than $729,000. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes initially threw out the idea of purchasing one of each after knowing the cost would be roughly the same as Cat's low bid. If you look at your paper there, if you take machine one from Deer and machine one from from uh, Cat, the total of those two together with the trades and the way they put it is $716,666. So it would only be about exactly $1,000 higher by one of each. I'm just, that's just another scenario. Funding allocated under the county's fiscal 24 budget for new equipment would cover the motor grader purchases. Before the meeting, the board had a walk around of both proposed equipment models and county engineer J.D. King's recommendation was still the two Caterpillar models. The board start, was started to indicate they would like to purchase the Caterpillars until Patrick Teagan from Ziegler Cat, who was present at the meeting, offered a guaranteed buyback on the machines that the board bought both Caterpillars, which was not included in the original sealed bid. However, Brian Bremer with Murphy Tractor cautioned the board from considering the additional offer. I believe if you were to consult with the county attorney, he would advise you that that would be illegal to accept that tonight because this has been a sealed bid that was open last sure. week. And in essence, you're allowing him to change his bid. Right. So I think we need to go with the original numbers. You guys have always been a long time cat operator. I understand that. But for $1,000 difference, you get to try the new technology and have two brand new machines that you can run side by side to see which one performs best over time. Due to legality concerns over whether they could accept the Ziegler cap bid, Holmes suggested rejecting both proposals and allowing the companies to start over with the bidding process due to the buyback offer muddying the uh, two companies' proposals. He also noted prices could go up or down if they rebid the purchase. However, Supervisor Judy Clark advised against rebidding because the company's numbers are publicly available to each other and other potential bidders. Once you open bids, everybody no, we're gonna what they offer. refuse these bids. And then open I know up. what you're saying, but they're still out there they're still out there so they can undercut or whatever and it's just that's not good business 
if it's not the way county government operates. While it may not be the first choice, Supervisor Todd Mayer says purchasing one of each would allow them to compare the two machines and find their preference before the next round of motor grader purchases. To see, you know, is the service better? Are we doing less maintenance? Are we getting better fuel mileage? Are we getting right. all these benefits that they, the salesman, you know, portrayed to us? You know, is that paying off? Because really it boils down to the taxpayer you know, are we going to get money in the long run right. out of that versus saving it up front and then paying for it in the back end right. with much more service issues and things like that. Mayor and Holmes added that they had heard good things about the John Deere model from Secondary Roads employees in Fremont and Montgomery counties. However, Mayor also acknowledged it might take time for the rotor grader operators to get used to the new machines. Clarinda City officials have landed on a name for a new business park on the south side of town. During its regular meeting last week, the Clarinda City Council, by a 4-0 vote, approved designating the area as the Clarinda Landing Industrial Park. The new business park will be accessible from South 14th Street near Smith Vending and extend west and south toward U.S. Highway 71. The council approved a loan agreement to purchase nearly 21 acres of farmland earlier this year. Clarinda Mayor Craig Hill says naming the business park now allows the Clarinda Economic Development Corporation to begin marketing the land to potential businesses. We put it to the economic development to come up with some type of a name. They would like us to approve something so that they could go ahead and start promoting the area. Now the name that the economic development came up with is, and again, this is discussion, you guys have the right to approve or disapprove or make any kind of name that you would want. They came up with uh, Clorinda Landing. The council approved the $320,000 lump sum purchase from Mia and Wendell Waldruff with $175,000 up front and a general fund loan agreement not exceeding $145,000. Still to come on this week in KMA Land, families take advantage of a new education program in Iowa. Montgomery County's courthouse is getting a facelift and a local nonprofit is being recognized for its work to feed kids. All that and more on This Week in KMA Land. Welcome back to This Week in KMA Land. At least one KMA Land lawmaker isn't surprised by the number of students and families across the state that are utilizing a new program allocating state dollars to private school education. Early in this last legislative session, Iowa lawmakers passed a bill that was signed by Governor Kim Reynolds creating educational savings accounts, which allocate just over $7,600 per student to attend a private school. According to a release from the governor's office last month, over 29,000 students had applied for the account, with just over 18,000 already accepted. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program this week, Iowa State Representative Tom Moore says he wasn't shocked by the number of families that are seeking the state funding. Uh, I expected it to be more than the $106 million. And, and the projections are anywhere up to about $150 million, I think I've heard. Uh, but the number of applicants doesn't surprise me, especially when we talk about the, the major cities, the big cities, and, and the number of students that are wanting to go from the, from the uh, public schools there some private school. Moore was one of several KMA land lawmakers that voted against the legislation in the Iowa House of Representatives, saying he had multiple reservations regarding the bill. The grizzled Republican says one concern already coming to fruition is private schools raising their tuition costs. I think we've seen private school costs increase to that amount that the state is now going to give to uh, students to attend a private school. And so, you know, uh, some uh, some elementaries and, and middle schools uh, of private school education were, were charging much less than the 7,000-plus that the uh, state is going to give, and uh, they have increased their tuition to that amount. 
and and I expected that to happen. During the 2023-24 school year, private school students with household incomes at or below 300% of the federal poverty level, which is currently $90,000 or less for a family of four, are eligible. Also, for the governor's release, 60% of the students that financially qualify and have been accepted were already attending a private school, with the remaining 40% planning to move from a public to a private school. Moore says he also has concerns over some private schools losing their autonomy. Once money starts flowing from government to a to a an entity, uh, strings become attached, and we haven't seen anything yet. But but even as late as the end of the session last year, we were seeing um, talk of of bills and things to affect the private schools and uh, and affect their autonomy that they had to start with. More ads. He'll also be curious to see how many applicants are accepted by a private school due to student capacity at those institutions. I don't think of those all those students that have applied, I don't think all of them will be able to uh, to uh, get to a, a private school or, or be accepted by a private school because uh, many of the private schools, I believe, are not going to have the availability uh, to uh, handle the uh, influx and uh, we'll just have to see how that shakes out. While acknowledging the cost will likely be over the $106 million estimate, Moore says the state should be able to comfortably finance the program, which he speculates won't be going anywhere soon. Supporters of the legislation, including Governor Kim Reynolds, have touted the provisions as an opportunity for parents to have a say and choice in their child's education, while also providing some incentives for public schools. While an exact funding source is yet to be determined, Montgomery County officials are moving forward with plans to renovate the exterior of the county courthouse. Meeting in regular session this week, the County Board of Supervisors unanimously accepted a bid from Andrew Tuckpointing LLC of Clarenda for over $382,000 to perform tuckpointing on the county courthouse and clock tower. The action came after maintenance director Dan Wright presented an over $489,000 proposal for Mid-Continental Restoration. Under the proposal from Andrew Tuckpointing, Wright says they're proposing to fix 100% of the tuck pointing on all but the west side of the courthouse, where they would instead do miscellaneous tuck pointing. While some board members suggested finding a contractor to do patchwork instead, Wright expressed concern over the problem getting pushed down the road. And the thing that worries me is that we keep kicking the can, and then Andrews has another courthouse or another big building come up, and then they, two years they take that, and then they're like, well, we might be able to get there next fall, but it might be the following spring, and then you're down the road two years. Out. He adds that a patch job on the tuck pointing might not extend the life as far as they would like, and noted prices won't get any cheaper. At a previous meeting, Ben South with Andrew Tuck Pointing said 100% renovation would protect the exterior for 30 years. South's proposal also includes a complete restoration on each elevation, plus caulking work and trim painting around the windows. Wright noted that while the courthouse's exterior might not look bad from a distance, a recent inspection identified problems. He saw a lot of spots where the mortar's still there, but it's got a stress crack on the top side of it. So that's letting that water roll. When it rains, it rolls in. And then with our weather and heat and cold, expand and contraction, you're going to have stuff popping. Regarding funding for the project, Supervisor Donna Robinson inquired whether they could spread out the payments. She noted that American Rescue Plan Act dollars are starting to run out with roughly $200,000 unallocated. However, due to the county's primary source of revenue and property taxes currently capped, Supervisor Chair Mike Olson suggested bonding the project to avoid draining the county's ARPA dollars. I don't know if this ARPA money is going to go back or what's going to happen, that's another federal deal. But it would be nice to have some cushion that we had in case we needed some money in an emergency. And if we can bond this without a lot of 
uh, collateral damage to the to the to the bond and increasing that exponentially. I would almost like to see us bond the whole thing and save that ARPA money. Robinson also had some reservations about the long-term extensive investment as more and more county agencies are becoming regionalized. However, Supervisor Sharla Schmid says it should be a primary goal to care for the courthouse. My only thing is, is if we don't take care of this courthouse, then it's going to crumble down. And then and then then everybody in the county will be up in arms. With the board's approval, Wright says South hopes to have a crew of six to eight individuals working on the courthouse this spring. Wright added he would also reach out to South to clarify the need for any down payment, and the auditor's office will also contact Bond Council for additional funding options. Well, more repairs are needed at a Page County park in the middle of the county. Page County Conservation Director John Schwab updated the Page County Conservation Board on the latest snag to hit ongoing remodeling and dredging efforts at Pioneer Park. Schwab tells KMA News as they were making preparations for dredging and waiting for water levels to rise, they noticed an issue with an inflow pipe to the pond at the park. The inflow pipe on the western side of the pond, for some reason we noticed was... We didn't have water coming in it anymore, so we checked the pipe. We found a very large hole in the top where it looks like part of the, the pipe is filled in, so it's blocking the water flow from coming into Pioneer. So that's causing a, a major issue because we need the water to come up just a little more before we can really start dredging. Schwab noted they won't know the dollar figures for the repairs until they discover where the problem is located in the pipe. He says they are hopeful that the portion of the pipe that's damaged is located on county property as the line runs from a landowner's pond into the county-owned park. We've got about 20 feet of the pipe that's on our side, but then about the last 15 is on his side. So we're going to have to do some excavating on ours. Hopefully, if the break's on our side, it'll be a fairly easy fix. Um, it's going to get costly, though, if the break is on his side, because that's a lot more excavating. But then it's to the point we might have to replace that entire pipe, which would be a lot more costly than if we can just excavate, find a hole, patch it, clean out the pipe, and then we'll be good to go. He adds they hope to be able to do the work in-house rather than hiring a contractor. He says the layout of the land around the pipe will also likely require digging to be done by hand. The terrain where the pipe is is a little sketchy um, to even get any sort of heavy equipment in there. Um, so we're figuring that it's going to be more time-consuming, um, but the easiest way is basically going to be for us to go in there with some shovels and dig up this pipe. So yeah, hope hopefully we'll be able to do it in-house. Uh, we'll know a lot more once we get the pipe uncovered. He adds that crews have already removed vegetation from the area to begin digging for the pipe soon, and while they'll know a time frame for repairs better once they locate the hole, he hopes any repairs can be completed by the end of this year. An organization battling food insecurity in the Southwest Valley School District has been recognized statewide for its work. Feed the Pack, which provides food to students over the weekend and during school breaks, was recently given the Friend of Education Award by the Iowa State Education Association. Pat Shipley is president of Feed the Pack, and she says seeds for the program were planted in 2017 when they received a $5,000 Lilly grant to get things started. I participated in a program through Duke University that was Foundations and Leadership. And in that program, we assess community needs and then how those needs might be met and then grant writing. So that's how it began. And we formed a 501c3 nonprofit, wrote articles of incorporation. It started in the Villisca West Campus of Southwest Valley. And then during 2019-20, it then started in the East Campus of the Southwest Valley School District. The program is run as two separate but cooperating programs that serve the Villisca and Corning campuses of Southwest Valley. The program's also grown to include some community table events and food boxes to help address food insecurity in both the schools and community. Food insecurity is a big issue in rural areas, and that's really the topic that we were attempting 
to address. The boards of both the two campuses have a lot of retired educators on them as well as current educators. So they're the ones that are on the front line that see the kids that you know they're hungry. And we just needed to have a way to address that food insecurity. The program is funded mostly on donations. The Feed the Pack was nominated for the Friend of Education Award jointly by the Corning and Villisca Education Associations. Anyone wishing to donate to the program can contact the group through their Facebook page. And Shipley was a guest on KMA's morning show. Her full interview is available at kmaland.com. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, make sure you log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, I'm Ryan Matheny. Mike Peterson will be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.